Hello and welcome to A Big Mouthful. This podcast has been produced for anyone who wants to listen to what it is like being LGBT plus and to understand some of the issues that we live with. However, some of the topics that we will be discussing are relevant to absolutely everyone. My name is Simon Pearson and I have the absolute privilege of being the chair of the LGBT plus network within Cumbria, Northumberland, Tyne and Weir NHS Foundation Trust. Given that we are possibly the biggest NHS mental health service provider in the North East, we felt that it was about time you heard our voices, which is why this podcast is called A Big Mouthful. Some of the topics that we will be discussing here will be serious, some will be emotional, some controversial, and some extremely light-hearted and humorous, but above all, hopefully you will find them informative and will give you something to think about. Here's a glimpse of what we have in store for you in this episode. Everyone knows alcohol is a substance that we have to carefully develop a relationship with because of its ill effects. So I think you can categorically say that however much you drink, whatever your drinking pattern is, a month without it can only be a good thing. I guess for me as a psychologist, the thing I think is really important is approaching this change with self-compassion. We see things we don't like about ourselves or things we'd like to do and often in January think, oh. But if you're losing weight in order to make someone else happy or in order to fit in somewhere else, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and that way lies ruin. It is now January 2020. Happy New Year to everyone and I hope that this year brings you good health and happiness. January is also the time that we make resolutions to create lifestyle changes for ourselves. The most common ones are exercise, dry January and weight loss. With that in mind, I thought it would be interesting to have some conversations about making changes in our lives and how that can affect us. We've got some great guests lined up to talk to you on these subjects. To start the ball rolling, I had a really nice chat with Dr. Steph Lai. She's a clinical psychologist, and this is what we discussed about creating and sustaining change for ourselves. Thank you very much for joining us today and to talk about this really important subject about change, creating change for ourselves. And I think what's important that we want to hear from a psychologist, (laughs) a psychologist's perspective, is how do we sustain change? We, we, we decide to create change, but then how do we sustain that and keep that moving forward for mm-hmm. ourselves? I think there's, there's a couple of things I think are important. And the first one is probably something that people are quite aware of about making sure your goals are realistic. So a lot of people use acronyms like SMART or, okay. or SPORTY, which I'll not list them off if people can look them up if yeah. they're interested. But essentially that's where I'm not setting yourself up for failure, being really clear about what you're going to achieve when you're going to do it, make it realistic. Um, think about exactly when you're going to dedicate time to whatever it changes you want to implement. But I guess for me as a psychologist, the thing I think is really important is approaching this change with self-compassion. Right. So I think a lot of people, myself included, likely you included, Simon, as well, we see things we don't like about ourselves or things we'd like to do. And often in January think, oh, well, you know, I can't believe I let this happen or yeah. I haven't been out running in ages and I've yeah. just put excuses in and I need to do better. Yeah. And that's all 
very well. We're trying to kind of give ourselves a bit of a kick up the bum, um, but we need to think about how we have that conversation with ourselves. So tell me a little bit more about the self-compassion. How do we develop that? So generally speaking, most people are pretty good about at being compassionate toward other people. So they've got the skills, they're just we're not very good at directing that inwards. The sorts of things we say to ourselves, we wouldn't dream of saying to other people most of the time. So like giving compliments to other people, being yeah, supportive uh-huh. of other people, we do that naturally in our day-to-day yeah. meetings yeah, with people. Definitely. But it's turning it around and doing it to yeah. ourselves. So imagine, you know, you think, actually, I'm not going to go to the gym tonight, and you go and sit on the sofa, and you might just have a little voice in your head saying, oh, God, you're so lazy. Yep. But would you say that to your friend because they hadn't gone to the gym? Um, no. You probably wouldn't. You'd probably say something like, oh, well, don't worry about it. You'll benefit from a night, a night off, but you can go tomorrow. And it's, it's that sort of dialogue that we need to start having with ourselves because that then motivates you rather than just makes you feel terrible Absolutely. about yourself. Yeah, and that's so simple to do, really, when you think about it in that context. It's, I mean, it's simple in, in practice. In, well, no, it's, it's simple to say. It's sometimes yeah. it's actually in practice it's harder to, yeah. to implement because we're just so used to so how do you think we actually move towards being able to turn that around and be compassionate to ourselves? What do we need to do to make that next step? I think we need to start noticing that, that little voice that's giving us a hard time right. and not sack it off because that doesn't help either. That voice is there for a reason. Yeah. But just think, right, well, how would, I, how would I phrase that if I was saying it to someone else? You know, what kind of tone of voice would I use? What words would I use? Um, and, and apply that to ourselves. So we want to be kind to ourselves, but still hold ourselves accountable for the, the change that we want to make. Okay. So that's really important. So that's, that's step one, is looking at developing that level of self-compassion mm-hmm. for ourselves to be able to create that level of change that we want to. Mm-hmm. How do we... So I managed to get myself off the mm-hmm. sofa. Mm-hmm. I managed to get myself down to the gym. How do I keep that sustaining going? How do I keep doing that for myself? Well, I think it's it's important to have goals and to be reviewing those and doing what is important and what is fun, really. Mm. So making sure that you've chosen the right thing. Um, because actually, if you're setting yourself up to go to run on the treadmill for half an hour when you hate the treadmill, you're probably not going to keep that going. So I think making sure that you are reviewing, is this working for me? Is it doing what I need to do? And if not, well, what else can I try? I want to be active, well, maybe I'll join a netball team or something instead. You know, everyone's different. Um, but I think that's the important thing, is to keep reviewing and keep tweaking. So just because something doesn't work, we don't want to be all or nothing about it. We want to think, right, well, what next? So, so it's evolves. setting something that is going to be challenging, mm. stimulating, but not too far ahead with the goal that we want to achieve it's re- yeah. realistic yeah it's got to be it's achievable it's got to be achievable and we've got to see the benefits of doing it we're going to get that buzz from doing it yeah rather than dread going off and doing it and, and very personally speaking i think it makes it does make all the difference if you enjoy it yes listening to what you're saying there it's creating a change that is going to be challenging but also enjoyable to do it rather needs just... to be rewarding otherwise why would you keep doing it yeah and that's the key mm-hmm. isn't it it's all got to be rewarding and it's got to be enjoyable yeah. brilliant thank you so very much for your time thank you that was a great conversation I hope you got something from that my next guest is jed young 
Jed has been working as a drug and alcohol nurse specialist for many years, so his thoughts on dry January are really good to hear. Thank you very much for spending time with us today just to answer a few questions about alcohol. So, talking about dry January, talk us through the benefits of dry January and talk to us about how alcohol can be damaging for us, please, Jed. Alcohol is, and I put no value judgment on this, alcohol is a toxin, it is a carcinogen, and it's pro-inflammatory. Everyone knows alcohol is a substance that we have to carefully develop a relationship with because of its ill effects. So I think you can categorically say that however much you drink, whatever your drinking pattern is, a month without it can only be a good thing. Okay. The benefits, um, starting at the top of the body, uh, alcohol does fuel anxiety, so one might expect anxiety levels to drop. Alcohol is involved clearly in the cause and um, the exacerbation of depression, of a mood disorder. Because so alcohol in itself is a depressant, isn't it? Alcohol is a depressant, yes. Oh. It's a respiratory depressant and it's a, um, it depresses the mood through various mechanisms. Yeah. Um, so you would expect to feel less anxious, you would expect to your mood to improve. Um, it also has quite profound effects on existing medical conditions like schizophrenia, um, other psychotic disorders, any mental health disorder that people might suffer from might well be expected to improve without alcohol. Nothing will be cured with a month off alcohol and individually uh, you can't you can't generalize about the role alcohol has in someone's mental state so the message there that you're saying is that we know that harm that alcohol can be harmful if yes. we use it excessively so dry january is a positive thing because it will give us a month off of it does that lead to any behaviours after the month to actually get straight back onto the wagon or what, what, what do we know about that? Well, Ian Hamilton of York University published some research last year and he said there was quite distinct evidence that if someone didn't drink at all in January that their annual alcohol intake wasn't reduced by one twelfth right. and that people generally drank more to make up for a period of abstinence. That's interesting. Hmm. So we all rush for the cabinet as soon as the end It's of like giving comes. anything up. Yeah. If you suddenly don't give something up, you, yeah. you want to get your levels back up. So while there's benefits to be had from dry January, I suppose for long-term use, we should be looking at reducing, on a regular basis, our alcohol intake. Yes, a lot of addiction and alcohol specialists or interest groups um, don't think, they think that dry January is a bit of a mistake because okay. it creates the impression that if you do that, you're okay. Whereas um, it's better to cultivate a reasonable attitude to alcohol over the whole year. Yeah, 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 that makes sense, because I can understand that some people think, well, I've done dry, dry January, so I'm confined for the rest of the year, I can do whatever Absolute, I like, because yeah. I've helped my liver for this month, Yes, that's it. Another 
uh, perspective on dry January is people tend to overindulge mm-hmm. at Christmas and New Year. So your alcohol loading, the ill effects of alcohol may well be more intense in January than at other times of the year. And so I think people feel more motivated to stop drinking at that time of year. Yeah. Uh, is that when you say loading? What what do you mean by loading? I, I just mean the um, basically people can do quite a lot of damage over Christmas and New Year. Okay. Consumption for individuals is generally higher. Consumption for people who already drink a lot uh, tends to go really over the top. So okay. someone in January can feel physically and mentally terrible and. The idea of a dry January makes sense to them. Help that. Okay, so so what would we need to do to look after ourselves to make sure that we are okay? So we've we've had quite a large, heavy sessions over Christmas and into New Year. Um, what telltale signs would we experience that need to say to ourselves, get to the GP, get something sorted about this? If you're talking about serious physical effects, yeah. Um, I think gut disorders is probably one of the commonest, Julian uh, Lulsa, so any vomiting, chronic nausea, chronic diarrhea, um, chronic insomnia, anxiety, shaking, tremor, signs of withdrawal, um, all of these things would should prompt you to go and see a GP. In an extreme case, if you turn yellow, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, 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 but yeah, most yeah. people would notice that. But yeah. the thing about alcohol, as with a lot of drugs, is the effects are on a spectrum. So I think educating people or oneself about the effects of alcohol and observing the ill effects before they become too problematic yeah. is, is a good thing. Health education, if we're talking about any drug, Health education and harm reduction are the easiest and the most effective ways to intervene with yourself or with a friend or colleague who um, is suffering the ill effects of alcohol. I suppose one word of warning that needs to be added to that before people rush into dry January, especially if they're consistent drinkers, is that I know that there are problems associated with suddenly stopping Mm -hmm. if you are a habitual drinker, because that could lead to desperate problems for yourself, couldn't it? Yes. I mean, that's quite extreme. Um, Not everyone who's alcohol dependent has withdrawal problems. There are people, quite a lot of people, who can just stop and do it like that depends on your individual threshold to seizures and to um, psychosis. So someone can have big problems with alcohol withdrawal without necessarily being an extremely heavy drinker. They would have to be regular and it would have to be adverse, but you don't need a bottle of whiskey a day to have withdrawal symptoms. You can get them. Again, it's a spectrum. Yeah. when you wake up in the morning after a binge and you're shaking, yeah. that's a withdrawal syndrome symptom. Right. Yeah. So if you're getting shakes every morning, that's a worse withdrawal syndrome. Okay. And if you stop suddenly taking alcohol and then you get shakes, you sweat, you have a terrible tremor, 
you have headaches, you feel agitated and distressed, then again, look along the spectrum and see where you are on it and use that to help you make a decision about your relationship with alcohol. Excellent information there, Jim. Mm -hmm. So on a positive note to end what we're talking about today, mm -hmm. something positive about dry January would be? I think anything that helps people make behavioural changes is good. Yeah. Um, I think dry January should be accompanied with more, a bit more science, a bit more health education, a bit more harm reduction, a bit more advice um, about how to cultivate your relationship with alcohol after January. Get, get a plan in place, look at your units, look at your own physical health and connect it to your alcohol intake and use the, that information to help yourself in the rest of the year. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jeff. That's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and for all that information. Thank yep. you. Very welcome, Sam. Thank, Thank you. you for listening. I like the sound of your <laughs> voice. <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully some sobering thoughts there from Jed. Finally, I couldn't have wished for two nicer guys to have had as guests on this first podcast. They are becoming famous very quickly, so I most probably won't be able to afford to ask them back again. Joining me to discuss weight, dieting and exercise are the wonderful Paul and James, the two chubby cubs. I'm James, I'm one half of Two Chubby Cubs, I'm the writer of the blog. And I'm Paul, I'm the other half and I'm the cook. Thank you so very much for coming in today and having a chat with us because it's a really important issue that we're going to be talking about. So tell us about yourselves, how did Two Chubby Cubs come about? Well, Two Chubby Cubs came about because we were sat with my grandma and um, we were trying to show her how to use an iPad. And one of the things we had on our iPad was a little comic book application that you could make photographs with and stuff like that. So we made this absolute nonsense little comic, showed her it, and then we realised it would be quite a good way of delivering recipes uh -huh. to people. So this mm. was like five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we cobbled together this recipe, we put it online, set up a little blog, didn't expect anyone to read it. And then rinse and repeat maybe ten more times, and then we started getting people following us and commenting on how much they liked the food, how much they liked the stories. And then since then, it was an opportunity to talk about ourselves, which obviously we always love. <laughs> and it started, it, it went down so well. Yeah. And it's just gone on from there, hasn't it? Yeah. How long ago, how, sorry, how long ago was it? Oh, that was about 2014, I think. Okay. Yeah. 2014 that was started. And now you're destined <laughs> to take over the world. I suppose talking about January, talking about changes that we want to make with ourselves and moving forward for ourselves. We talk about body image, which is why we look at recipes, why we look at trying to change our diet, yeah. trying to improve. Do we need to improve? I don't know. Talk me about cubs and where that comes from. Well, I think... I think, in especially in the gay world growing up, I can only speak for myself here, but there was all, when I was young, I always thought I had to be skinny and sculpted yeah. and toned. But what was the confusion for me was that I would look at men who were like that and I wouldn't personally find them attractive. I liked a chubby guy. I used mm. to, yeah. you know, I used to think, 
like my friend's dads were hot. Um, but what's interesting is I didn't see immediately when I was growing up an outlet for that. I only ever saw Body Beautiful. Yeah. So for the first I don't know, formative years of my kind of, how, how can we put it, growing up, I, d- <laughs> I, I was confused. I was thinking, oh, I don't see, I don't see the appeal of this, this, this perfect man. And I never got to see where I could find other people like me. Um, and it created when I was about 18 or 19, I was striving to be thin. I was striving to be you know, muscly and never worked for me. And I never felt like I fitted in. I would go out mm. and I'd see these beautiful people. And there's me in my dumpy BHS coat and, you know, <laughs> my 48. And, and there is that pressure. There is that need to actually conform to that stereotype as to what, especially being a gay man, yeah. is bad. Is that sculpted body. It mm. is that, mm, that masculine, muscular. Yeah. yeah. Or skinny. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's a shame, I think, that people feel still feel like they have to have yeah. a little fit in somewhere. Um, but the good thing nowadays, I would say, yeah. is that it's a, there's a lot more accessibility to having different types of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, when we were growing up, we, I mean, we both grew up in like the the 90s where section 28 was still in effect for a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, we were coming at the back end of the AIDS crisis. I grew yeah. up in a small town, as you all know. Um, there, there just wasn't the space for all the different communities and stuff to, to each have their own area. It was the most predominant one, which was the young, skinny, muscular, was the tribe. And if you weren't part of that, then you weren't welcome on the scene. So there wasn't really much for us. Whereas now with the with internet and social media and all that stuff, it is much easier to see what communities are out there and what you might feel a part of. I, I find it all really, really interesting. So we've got this rise of ableism, mm. which says that we shouldn't be anti whatever, but yet there's still the disparity mm. within queer society that we do get that body fascism and so, so yeah. how how do we reach a point or how have we reached a point with the chub scene with the bear scene and so on and so forth how, how does that fit into that and how have we reached that which is good that we have but well it's interesting because we definitely have made progress towards yeah. that but even if you look at the bear scene or the chub scene this even you know in those little splinter groups there's yet more splinters yeah like you'll you, you might be a bear for example I mean like I am I'm a big, you know, I've got a lot of fat on me. I'm a big guy and I'm hairy. So some people like that. But then other people will be like, ooh, hairy, or ooh, you've got a hairy back. Mm-hmm. There's always, I think for some people, there's always something to kind of poke people with, bad choice of words, but <laughs> to, to, kind, to kind of like to pull them for. Yeah. Um, and certainly we've moved away from, we haven't completely moved away from body fascism, but. It's, it's less of a problem, but there will always be people yeah, who have so. a problem with something. Right? Do, do you think there's a link with, with that level of body fascism, fascism, <laughs> body fascism and um, this need to conform to, adhere to a stereotype that can link in with people's mental health issues? Yeah, because I think mm. people, certain people will never feel good enough. Right. And the only way of getting around that is to become more body confident in yourself and stop worrying about like the two people who may have a problem if you concentrate on the 20 people who don't have a problem that's what I always say and the only way to get past body fascism is to accept yourself and not care I think the one ethos that we've always had with our blog and with the, and with a diet cookbook where you're encouraging people to lose weight is a lot of people want to lose weight that's fair enough but make sure you're doing it for the right reasons mm-hmm. and the only real right reason I can see to lose weight is for your health yeah. and for your happiness so if you feel like you a two stone lighter would be a happier person, then by all means go for it. But if you're losing weight, 
in order to make someone else happy or in order to fit in somewhere else you're doing it for the wrong reasons and that way lies ruin because you might lose two stone but then you might think I need to lose another half a stone or maybe I've got stretch marks or I've got saggy bits mm. until you're doing it for yourself it's not going to work for you what, were then. What, what was interesting was I can only my own story here when I was at my fattest I was really unhappy didn't feel confident in my body hated how I looked and I hated how I perceived other people were looking at me and in retrospect most people aren't and that's the way life is so I lost 10 stone mm -hmm. last wow. year thank you it's all stayed <laughs> off <laughs> thank god this is a podcast um, and I lost 10 stone and I got to the skinniest I think I've ever been since 15 16 years old thinking that when I got there I'd be happy and I absolutely wasn't and I couldn't, for a, for a few months, I couldn't really figure out why, because I thought, surely, when I get to a healthy weight, I'll feel confident. And I didn't, and mm -hmm. I realised it's mm -hmm. because it's not the magic answer. Mm. You know, you might lose all that weight, but you've got to work on your own body positivity. Yeah. And then actually, so since then, I've put on a three stone, I've got to kind of where I am now, and I'm carrying a bit of extra weight, but I quite like how I look, because... Yeah. I don't, I'm not so hung up on all the manky bits because I know you love me however I am. And there's always someone out there who will like you how you are. Yeah. It's cheesy as hell, but there's a, what's it I always say? There's a, there's a lid for every jar. Yeah. 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 And there's no, so no, much no. truth yeah. in that. Um, there's a lot more acceptance out there than you might think, I think. Oh, there really is. <laughs> so, so that rounds up nicely what we're talking about with the podcast, this this, this, this first first podcast. Very good. Our yeah. first guest. Fabulous. Amazing. Right. We broke you in. <laughs> <laughs> um, is talking about being healthy. Mm -hmm. It's looking after yourself. But it's knowing what your limits are, knowing what you want to be mm -hmm. and how to achieve that for yourself in a sensible way, not mm -hmm. going to extremes, not making yourself unwell. Well, one thing we found um, with, because you know, as part of our Facebook group, we have, I think, 70,000 members in there. And especially in wow. January, you get so many people starting a diet, as, as pretty much everyone does in January. The mistake that we see time and time again, and it's a shame, is that you'll get people who will lose four pounds in a week. And rather than being happy they've lost four pounds, yeah. they'll be unhappy that they haven't Dumbness. lost six. Yeah. And yeah. I know where this is coming from because when, especially when you've got a lot of weight to lose, it can seem like an insurmountable task. Yeah. I've got 10 stone to lose. That's an incredible amount of weight. But if you start couching it in terms that you, you want to lose half a stone, and then when you get to that half stone, you might want to lose another one and another one you're kind of reframing it so that you're getting lots of victories yeah. as opposed to lots of losses. Yeah. yeah. And there's a certain, especially in weight loss and especially with slimming classes, there's a certain tendency towards language about like sinning food or bad food. Yeah, it's and, all negative connotations, yeah, isn't it, towards it? How many sins are you going to have yeah. this week? You can't have this, this is naughty, you can't have this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what, it should yeah. never be like that. Food, you, yeah, know, you need yeah. food to live, you might as well enjoy your food. And I think when you enjoy your food and you in your um and using good recipes and using good ingredients, it's not a chore. And eventually you get yourself in a mindset, you'll lose weight just naturally. Yeah. Because you're not picking out crap. Yeah. Not well, not eating all those processed foods which are just yeah. destined yeah. to to live on your hips. Yeah. <laughs> one, one thing that we yeah. learned eventually it took us a long, long time is if you if you do want to get if you do want to lose some weight, 
you've just got to steer gently towards that because if you try and do a handbrake turn and, mm -hmm. and you head in that direction you'll just fail you'll yeah. just knock your handbrake and your, your, your engine will fall out you've just got to do it gradually <laughs> and slowly these great analogy yeah <laughs> but you do you just have to take it gently you have to take it slowly and you have to do things at such a pace where they will become ingrained in your life and it isn't just a temporary thing that you do then and there to drop a bit of weight mm -hmm. and get your weight you need to you just need to take your time so in, in around ex in dieting and looking at what we put into ourselves as well, there's exercise. Talk to me about exercise and how that's fitted into your lifestyle because I know because we've done it ourselves, we've, we've been, been to exercise groups, so on and so forth. But you talk to me from your perspective about the exercise regimes that you, you use. Well, we have different regimes, don't we? We have very different regimes. Um, I think you start with yours. Okay. Well, growing up, I used to hate PE as every fat kid ever at school I, hate it. I always used to play. <laughs> make sure that I ran with two left feet so I'd never get picked <laughs> well I, uh, my my anti-PE stance came to a head in year 8 where I refused to do it for about 6 months and then I, all the other kind of socially awkward children and fat children all joined ranks and we had a little picnic instead of going out playing football <laughs> so I imagine that went down well the PE teacher and then since then I've had quite a negative experience of exercise but the last couple of years I, st I started going to a gym mm. and I absolutely love it and I only wish I'd started sooner and one thing I think that stopped me going to the gym was the worry that people would look at you and judge you yeah. and oh look at that person on the machine wobbling away and it, I'll just say this now and I've said it in the group if that's what stopped you exercising don't give it another thought because you go to a gym nobody is looking at you everybody is there to improve they're too busy looking at themselves in the mirrors to yeah. look at uh, anybody else me. aren't they i mean i'm always looking i'm always looking at all the weightlifters <laughs> and i am looking at people but it's only with ever with positive thoughts and i think i just think that's important because it is something that we've always worried about when we went to the gym and it just doesn't happen it's no. just not a thing that I, just, I think happens i think it, a lot mm. of it is in our head and that we are worried that other people are going to laugh at us and maybe use that as an, as an excuse not to go but, but i think it really shouldn't be a concern yeah, and I think if you can't get past that, if you, I mean, because it is a big ask, it, you're basically saying to people, don't worry about other people looking at you. And if you can't get past that yet, but I do think it comes in time, mm -hmm. go out and walk a dog, go out yeah. just to have a ratch about somewhere, get off your get off your kind of settee and push yourself a bit. One of the best things for that for me was getting one of those Fitbits. Yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. you don't you, you realise you don't have to go and have an absolute burnout session at the gym mm -hmm. to actually yeah. burn off some some excess uh, some energy. Yeah, and it's it's amazing just what you can do through walking. And it's satisfying as well. Seeing oh the yeah, tick over yeah, and yeah, your yeah. yeah and my absolute biggest, I couldn't exercise comfortably at all. I, I could never sort of go on a, a treadmill or anything. But I lost quite a lot of weight just from parking a little bit further away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it was still only maybe a two-minute walk to the office, but just doing that twice a day really helped, and the the weight started melting off. When swimming, I was swimming as really well. Big. Swimming's a good one. Yeah, I'm still too shy to do that. I just can't. Oh, I really, really can't do that. I want to. I love swimming, but I just no. Come with us. I just, I just think it'll be a tidal wave. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this on swimming: we were exactly the same. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm a confident person. I don't really care what other people think about my body. I couldn't care less. I spent too many years wasted worrying about that but even then the same as you I was thinking you know you're taking your top off you're getting in a pool but then the way I got around that was I would go when it was quiet so like maybe the last hour 
and there's only be a few people in the pool and I would power mince my way from the locker to the pool. <laughs> I was yeah, we, we will still suck our guts yeah. in and run quickly into the water. Absolutely. Once you're in the water, no one yeah, can see. You can fine. see, you're just bobbing yeah. along and then nine times out of ten, most other people will get out and you're the last one out anyway. So then, yeah, and then, and then the more that, it, it's that exposure thing, the more yeah. it happens, yeah, yeah, yeah. the more you realise that people don't care. Well, I, I mean, I had a similar story to you. I didn't do PE at school. I broke my arm in year eight. And I was only meant to be off PE for six weeks and I just never ever did it ever <laughs> again. I just milked it. Um, and I absolutely hate any form of exercise. I hate the feeling of exercise. I've just got no interest in it at all. And I used to go to the gym and I quite enjoyed it, but I'd very quickly get bored. Um, and I was never really comfortable pushing myself to do more. So I'd get into I'd get into a regime which probably wasn't really doing much for me anyway, but I'd stick with it and I would never change it. And I think that's the problem, isn't it? Because yeah. I've done that myself because I haven't been to the gym now for about four months yeah. because I got so bored with it. Then I hurt exactly. my knee and I thought, exactly. well, that's a good excuse. <laughs> yes, and you think, to go I mean, back. When we were going, but, we'd be there for like two and a half hours and I'd be so absolutely bored that I might have yeah. run out of podcasts. You have, to have a routine that exactly. you change so exactly. that you don't feel like that hamster on the wheel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, what I started doing instead was I went to a HIT class and I absolutely... What's a HIT class? It's... Um, yeah. I think it stands for a high oh, intensity, intensity interval training. training. Uh, yeah, 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 I think yeah. I think you not naming that local yeah. one. Yes. Yes. yes, there is a local one which I think is fantastic. Yeah. I'm not name them. Yeah. Other classes are available. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it's brilliant because it's just forty-five minutes a week. Forty-five minutes for three times a week. It's a hell of a lot of exercise and it's good fun as well. And I really enjoy it. And you're with like-minded yeah. people as well. So <laughs> I think we're going to have different views on that one, Paul. <laughs> I did not find it did fun. Oh, well, I, I enjoy it. I really liked it. I hate exercise, it but I love killing me. <laughs> I, I didn't mind that they kept my money and I never got it back. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. They've always been really good to us. But then, so yeah, I mean, that, that, there were three different experiences there. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so you, it's, it's all about finding what's right for you. Yeah. yeah. Finally, plug yourselves. Give oh. us give us your addresses for your your <clears throat> podcast for your for where we can get your book. Oh yes, okay. So um, we've got a cookbook that's just come out in the last few days. It's called Two Chubby Covers of the Cookbook. It's available in nearly all the supermarkets: Costco, W. O. Smith, Waterstones, and Amazon. Um, I think we come to a few more places in the future as well. Mm-hmm. And it's got um, and you've a, shifted quite a few units, haven't you? Yeah, we've, we've sold a few certainly. Um, in the last two days, I, 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 we don't know numbers, but we only launched two days ago. I think we've smashed all the targets, haven't we? Yeah, we, we, we exhausted Amazon's print run, which yeah, is twice. Really awesome. That's well twice. done. It's, Thank you. But it's been crazy. <clears throat> um, but it's it's nice now because we've always, we've had the blog for five years, six years, and. Um, now we've got a book, something tangible that we can just sit and read. Yeah. But the nicest thing about it is all the kind of comments. Oh, we've had great responses to it. Absolutely amazing. Listening to you guys today and hearing these stories, sharing this with you today is just amazing. If that comes across and is so positive image for somebody out there, even if it's one person, that's great. Yeah. That's positive. That's that's amazing. That's the best thing for us is just, just seeing people liking it. Yeah. The response that we get from yeah. it. We've had so many people who've said, you know, we've tried dieting, we've tried the old ways, and we've got nowhere, but now it feels, they've they've come to us and they've said, I feel like we can do it, I feel like I can lose weight, because it's not just the recipes, it's a Facebook group, Mm -hmm. the support group that we've got. Um, If you type teacher becomes into Facebook, you'll find our page, which is for recipes, and the group, which is for discussion so if we do a google search for you yeah we'll be able yeah. to find you find you twitter the website's two yeah uh, for okay. our blog uh, there's over 600 recipes on there which are all free you don't have to pay to get okay. them um facebook instagram twitter all of that we're at two mm-hmm. brilliant but i will say 
exercise some caution when searching for two chubby cubs into Google. <laughs> you must absolutely please TWO, not the number two. If you use the number two, you will get porn. I mean, it's, and it is our porn. So it's it's lovely porn. Great porn. We look fantastic. Do we have to pay to see yeah, that? Absolutely, you do. <laughs> Just bring the receipt in the book and we'll let you know. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so very much, guys. And Thank you. Well, that's the end of the first podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed putting it all together. Please email me with any questions or comments from today's podcast, or if you've got any suggestions for future podcasts. The email address is a big mouthful one at gmail.com. That is a big mouthful one at gmail.com. And the one is the numeral one. And once again, a big mouthful one at gmail.com. I'm looking forward already to getting the next episode completed. Until then, keep safe and be nice to each other.